Welcome to Outside by Design, the podcast about the business side of creativity in the outdoor industry. I talk to some of our industry's finest leaders, entrepreneurs, freelancers, and creatives about crafting a life and a career based upon being outside. What's going on, all you marketing managers and photographers and writers and creative human beings who love to get outside? Welcome to episode 4.6 of Outside by Design. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah. It's Lisa and Iris um, coming at you live from our office in Whitefish, Montana. Today we're really excited because we had a pretty incredible guest. I think when you finished recording with him, you said that he's one of the smartest people you've ever talked to. And I'd say that's probably right. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think I could follow this guy around for like a month and just listen to what he has to say and never get bored. He's very, very thoughtful. Our our guest this week was Jose Gonzalez, and he is awesome. He is an educator, conservationist, an artist, and also the founder of Latino Outdoors. And we're really excited to have him on the show. He talks about revolution and what revolution means to him, and he has some really unique perspectives on the word revolution, as well as using our communication tools for good in the outdoors, um, designing for experience in the outdoors, and being brave enough to have uncomfortable conversations. We first met Jose because we were filming an event for the North Face and Canberra Outdoors, and he was one of the speakers on the panel, and it, he, he was amazing. He was like, he rocked that panel, and so we knew we had to get him on the podcast, and I think the conversation is phenomenal. Yeah, Jose did not disappoint. So get ready. This is going to be a good one. Cool. Well, first of all, Jose, um, thank you so much for being on Outside by Design. I'm thrilled that you're here. And I'm just so excited to talk to you about who you are and what you do around the context of this word revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go ahead and kind of the first question we ask everyone is to describe what they're looking at physically and where they are in the world. Oh, great question. So saludos everybody. I am today, I am in Northern California in Sacramento, the capital. I am in a nice room in Midtown. I have a window that overlooks a garden with a cat outside. It's a sunny day. I got in my morning jog and um, it was windy it was sunny it was a really nice combination of um, of just day and then most immediately in front of me apart from a laptop and some headphones I have some of my favorite books um, that I used to inspire me around art uh, illustration design uh, meditation philosophical readings and so forth wow that sounds beautiful um, I'm curious you you have your hands in a lot of things. So how do you describe yourself and what you do? Great question. So the how do I describe myself and what I do? Uh, they do go hand in hand, but I sometimes have to think about them a little separately so that they don't um, take up each other's spaces, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what I mean is, you know, who I am is not necessarily everything that I do, and I don't want everything that I do to necessarily limiting and defining who I am. Uh, and so in terms of how I describe myself, the two easiest way to start, which leads to deeper conversation are, I am uh, you know, Mexicano by birth. I am a US citizen through naturalization. I am Latino by social cultural identity. I'm a, a Chicano by social political identity and I'm Hispanic by census count. And uh, I am a conservationist by pursuit. I am an educator by training. Um, or let me rephrase that, I'm a conservationist by practice and I am a educator by training and an artist by pursuit. And in terms of how I think about holding the multitudes of identity, I went from this question of when, you know, being um, an immigrant to the U.S. and there's this phrase in Spanish, neither from here nor from there, right? That the more time you spend in the U.S., you're still not quote-unquote American enough, um, but you're also less Mexican or less Latino, (laughs) and so you don't seem to fit in. 
Um, so I took that to go from being bicultural to my idea of being ambicultural, which is that just like you're ambidextrous, you begin to like use both cultures in a positive and affirmative way to what I now describe as kind of a quantum identity um, that I can hold all of those pieces of who I am, but understand that what's going to collapse uh, as the what gets shown in the experience of my identity will determine on the interaction of where, where I am and who I'm having it with. Um, but it doesn't limit like who I get to be, and I don't have to prove that I have to be everything at that interaction. Um, and so the great thing about how that layers into what I do is I get excited about the overlapping fields of education, of art, and conservation. And conservation broadly, this, the, you know, I, I use that broadly defined to include the nature movement, outdoor industry, uh, outdoor environmental education, on general environmentalism, but then digging deeper that into um, looking at um, all, all and other ways of knowing in relation to, to the land. And so with that, I get to do equity and inclusion trainings. I get to partake in my own writing and artistic practice. I get to do um, pedagogy and curriculum training, especially around outdoor science. Uh, I get to do nonprofit kind of support based on my learning my own learning of trying to get Latino outdoors off the ground. I get to do um, speaking engagements um, and, and a mix of other kind of fun stuff. And that also includes science communication. Wow. So you have this super interesting dynamic of very em emotional connection to everything that you're doing and then um, kind of how, how it fits in the world at large and really big perspective? Where do you think that comes from? That's a good question. I, you know, there's a sense of, um, and I use the term evolution broadly, in that fundamentally, I think of two things, right? Like when we, when, when I think about being able to interact with others, it's like I try to ground myself in the simplest words that, that have a lot of power, but then I look at how do those unfold and unpack and, and, and what they look like as practices, right? And what they look like as, as doings for the day. Um, and what I say that is I think of words like compassion and empathy. We use those a lot, but then I have to think about what does that look like to me to be able to like do that and be that and embody that. Um, because it's easy to say, but all it takes, <laughs> it's like a frustrating, uh, uh, moment on the freeway, right? All it takes is like a sour interaction um, with, with, with another person. And it's like you quickly are challenged by that. And if you don't hold that practice, you lose it. Um, so I say that because I know that I had the benefit of being born and growing up in Mexico and all these components about just being outdoors, having a family that cared for me and um, a lot of the things that we think about culture and cultural relevance were just around me, but I didn't really have an awareness of them. And it wasn't until migrating to the U.S. that I began to experience um, some of these reflection moments that made me look back and say, well, well what, what, what have I been blessed with? And the great thing is I had many things that I could reflect back on and uh, less trauma that um, I had to unpack. Um, but then because of my natural curiosity and then just wanting to know, so to speak, I had to transform that into one from wanting to know to simply experiencing and being, which um, that came through my spiritual practice. And I think that has just allowed me to really um, expand the way in which I not just think about, but see and kind of experience the world um, as a grounding piece, but also understanding the, the daily realities and practices of being human in a, <laughs> in a modern capitalist, consumerist, materialistic world. <laughs> wow. I think that I could talk to you all day. Um, oh, well. <laughs> all the things. Um, all, yeah, all, all the things. All the things at once. Um, and and uh, on the podcast, we're doing this word of the month thing. And so your word is revolution. Um, you know, so where, where did you take that when we told you that your word was revolution? What'd you start thinking about? Uh, I love it. It's fantastic because I think of, well, two things. One is the word itself revolution, right? And how it has this, um, at least the connotation of overturning, right? Of like undoing, of redoing, um, 
in science, a revolution merely is something that goes around, right? It's not a rotation, it's a revolution. Um, but so the great thing is that it has this um, idea of cycle, right? And if I, with all due respect to revolution in terms of the activist space, right? And the need to be able to change, um, you know, power relations and kind of systems of oppression in, in, through those means. I also think of revolution as being able to look at how do we reconnect back to the idea of cycles and rhythms for balance? Because that's one of the things that, uh, you know, so having this conversation with a friend that we've lost more and more of, right? I think our, our ancestors uh, from all backgrounds um, through necessity, but I think also curiosity and study paid attention to what cycles and rhythms were in relation to the landscape, to the earth, to the skies, to everything. And uh, most of us have lost that, right? At best, we can look outside and see it spring or whatnot. <laughs> um, we read about like new moon this, new moon that, but we, we don't really have as good as understanding as we used to as to what um, cycles and rhythms were for us as humans, even though we can proclaim to be part of the natural and ecological landscape, but we've done so much detachment, right? So then, hence, I think of the, an associated word for me for revolution, which is radical. And I've spoken about this to say, like, the root of that word is root. So how do we go back to the root of things, not as a way to kind of, I think people misunderstand, like, well, that means we got to go back and give up all of our modern creature comforts. Um, I say, no, like, let's look at what it meant to have a connection to the outdoors in relation to the land. And how can that be a lens and filter through which we can move forward with um, all of these other things that we are doing and we're going to do? Um, so it's really about the, um, the root, so to speak, of our connection to place and space to guide us in how we make modern decisions, at least from my perspective. <clears throat> that reminds me of my favorite word, tobophilia. Mm. Um, which is connection to place and not necessarily knowing why you have a connection to a place um, and one place that you may feel no connection for, for no reason. And it reminds, it reminds me of that. And I'm curious, I love what you're saying about cycles and rhythms um, and this idea of reconnecting. But do you think that as humans, we can reconnect with something that we haven't directly experienced? Mm. I would say I would say yes. Uh, it's you know I've always remembered that a place can speak for itself, right? And sometimes in traditional conservation stewardship and like protection, we would say if you really want to get somebody to care, like take them to the place. <laughs> don't do you don't have to do a lot of the explaining. You don't have to do a lot of the communication. If you can just take people to the place and experience it, right? And so like oh we want to pass this legislation or do this work. Um, let's take the legislator there. Like, let, let's have them experience the things that we're talking about. Uh, I also know that that's um, can be challenging and unrealistic in some cases, right? So, take the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. We can't, we just logistically can't really take everybody there. Um, we can't take all of the American public right there and say, here, experience this. This is why it's important to protect it. Um, and so, and we still need um, that support for protection. So I think to be able to look at all the happenings in, in between like the here and there are important um, because the way in which we can relate to place through each other, the way that we can relate through place um, through a lot of the ancestral mechanisms of a connection, which includes story. I mean, something as simple as a story around a campfire has very deep roots in, in what gets us to connect. Um, I think if we can do this in respectful and meaningful ways through um, emotions and basically using for good a lot of the communication tools that have been used for less good in the, in the commercial consumer sector, right? That, that piece of society has been extremely good at getting us to care for and want things <laughs> that we may have never seen, don't have. Um, but that's a very different purpose and intent. And so I use that as an example to say, we can do it. We just sometimes have been less attentive about how we can use these tools for, for good. 
And um, this is really going to resonate with our audience of who listens to our podcast, which mm-hmm. is a lot of people in creative and marketing and journalism. Um, so what does it mean to you to use use these tools, these communication tools for good? What does that look like and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So one of the things is that I, you know, early on in my career, I struggled with certain aspects of management. And what I mean by that was not just like having supervisors <laughs> or being in a managerial <laughs> structure, <laughs> but also when I was in charge of a team, right? Uh, or when I had organizational development responsibility. And uh, part of that was because my own internal learning and unlearning of the purpose of some of these structures, right? And some of them exist because they're designed for a certain level of efficiency or a certain level of outcome and intent, right? Like if you're classically making widgets, (laughs) you just need to make the same widget every single time. but in terms of creative spaces, I learned pretty quickly. A friend helped me as through conversations. She said, well, you just, you're just a creative. You like to create. <laughs> and that helped me understand my role then, um, my ecological design role, I guess you can call it, of how I could best be of use and of service to a space. So I think for all of the designers out there and all the creatives, one is to know that you have the ability and power of creation, meaning to bring something forth that may have never existed before. Um, and, and, we're, and we all do this, first of all, but I think those of us who choose it as a profession and have specific tools um, around it can say, when I say like, how do we do this for good? I would say, well, some simple questions. One is what is my intent behind this creation? Um, is that clear to me? Why am I making this? Not to like get you too stuck philosophical around it, but be able to say, will this increase good in the world? Will this um, perpetuate uh, joy or things that I'd like to see rather than things that already exist and we're trying to undo? Because you can create something that can perpetuate inequity, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the thing. So I say in service of what? And then lastly is um, I, I had to challenge this through my own writing, which was, um, in the intent of creating something, I just it helps me to be clear if it's like for writing, it was, am I doing this purely for the discipline and the craft of writing, meaning like I'm going to write every day and create every day just because I want to exercise that muscle? Um, or am I doing it because it's for intended audience, right? And so that means I have to be attentive to who is it for. And if sometimes I need to not write it for somebody because that's a challenge on me to be able to think about why I'm creating and designing. And then lastly, um, is it for the creativity component, which can't be forced, but you do have to be able to support environments in which that happens. Wow. I hope that makes sense. Hey, Lisa, you love dogs. I freaking love dogs. Um, But one thing about being a dog owner is it's hard to choose your dog's food because sometimes you don't really know what's in it. Is your dog's food full of random ingredients that you don't even know what they are and mystery meats? Or is it full with really high quality organic ingredients? That reminds me of a great creative agency I know that is made completely of locally sourced, fully organic, natural design. It's got organic strategy, video production, social media, all these really, really carefully curated natural services that go into one giant project for your brand. So if you want your brand to be healthy and full of energy, just like your dog that you love, you should hire Wheelie. It's way better than expensive dog food. Wow, that was very enlightening. Yeah. Jose talks about reconnecting back to the cycles and the rhythms of the earth and of our ancestors. And that's such a unique way to look at the word revolution that we haven't heard yet on the show. And kind of an eye opener for us in the outdoor industry because we all play in the outdoors and we work in the outdoors and kind of our lives revolve around the outdoors, but maybe we're not necessarily connected to those cycles. And we still live in a modern world where we're disconnected to nature a lot. And it reminded me of what Sally said on our episode last season about how our modern world and the business world is built around 
um, like a 24 hour cycle versus like a feminine cycle, which is with the moon and the tides and the oceans, the ebb and flow of everything. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And, and it reminded me of that, um, that connecting to the earth can be kind of connecting to our feminine side as well. Yeah, I like that connection you just made about cycles and uh, rhythms of the earth and everything. And I talked a little bit about topophilia, which is a connection to place. And that's something I've been kind of obsessed with throughout my, well, throughout my entire 20s, I was very obsessed with place and like going to a place and feeling it and wanting to live there or going to a place, looking for a place to live and driving around the country trying to find a place that resonated with me for no reason other than I just felt it. Um, and so it's really quite fascinating to hear someone talk about reconnection and connection and, you know, how you can connect to something that your ancestors have experienced that you never experienced. And I think a lot of, uh, sometimes you just can't explain things, you just feel things. And um, I think that's kind of what topophilia is. Yeah. So let's get back to Jose while he explains what it means to, to create, to increase good in the world. Yeah, I think I'm totally feeling what you're what you're talking about, and I'm curious what what does that look like to you? Kind of like thinking about will this increase good? Oh and yeah. Like, what does that look like? How do we figure out this definition of of good? Because it is subjective, and you you keep referring to intent as well. Um, what does that look like to you? Mm-hmm. Great question. So. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm also a science nerd, and so I say that because I was just enjoying an article that about a quantum physics, you know, quantum physics experiment that says, "Congratulations, there is no objective reality," and I was like, "Oh, great, that's what I needed in the morning." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so I, I say that when you said it's subjective, I know there's a level of subjectivity that um, is true, right, and. Um, and so, like I, I say this because often we can get into these philosophical uh, discussions uh, or arguments, and there is, to me, there's validity in them. And then I say, that's great, but like quantum mechanics, it operates at its levels, and it has much less influence and impact at our human level, let alone at you know the planet level. Uh, it's great to know about it, but at the end of the day, I still have to pay rent, or I still chose to be in a place where I pay rent. I still chose to like have these agreements. Uh, with how I live in this day today, um, so I say that because then I think of operational um, forms of intent and good um, are the daily practices, rather than getting too stuck in like defining what is good and saying I'm not going to um, I'm not going to recreate or win arguments that have been going on for hundreds of years. So. Uh, but I can say this is what works for me and this is why. And then we can have a discussion around that. And good for me is to be able to create, increase joy, increase good, is to be able to look at the ways in which people, if they have daily stressors, if they feel restricted or limited in the abilities to be able to express themselves, or basically if they are looking for a, uh, someone, something, somewhere to connect with, um, that lets them know they are worthy, they are valued, they are seen, they are heard, and that they matter. To me, that's important. So I've been trying to be a lot more intentional about things that I put out there, uh, some of my poetry, um, some of the things that I share on social media. And it does affirm for me, it's not the reason I do it, but at least it lets me know that I'm aligned in that purpose um, when people respond back and say, I really need this today. Or like, these are, this is what really, you know, I hadn't thought about this and like, this is what I uh, needed to, to like help me through something. Or maybe nobody has told you this, but like, I really look forward to X, Y, and C like every week when you share this. Right? And so that's, that's, that's helpful um, to me. And the intent is this sense of what's going to guide my actions and the purpose uh, for the day. And you can do that through so many different ways. You can go and, you know, you have your own spiritual practice. You can do meditation. Um, I look at it as, as how do you create ceremony and rituals to help remind you of where you are, who you are, and why you choose to do the things you do. Oh, wow. Um, 
if it's too personal, you can say no, but what, yeah. what are some ceremony and rituals you bring into your life? Yeah. Great question. Your practice. That's actually something that I've been writing up to try to express. <laughs> and I said, um, I think about ceremony, uh, it's important to like choose your rituals, um, that are healthy habits, right. Of practice. And part of that is to have healing be an outcome of or intention through this practice. And so I look at the ways in which I can practice grounding, gratitude, presence, uh, prayer, and intention setting. So the easiest one for me that I, that I have committed and begun to share more is my daily um, jog. Right? So every day I go for a jog. And that I have determined that, that for me, that helps me clear my space. It helps me um, be an informal meditation. And so that's, that's, that's a ritual that's really important to me. I think expressing gratitude, those come in from when you wake up. Something as simple as uh, expressing gratitude for your body and that, that is around you and that is happy to have you. So like, you know, some of these sometimes sound uh, silly to some people or they don't sound they don't feel normal. I said, and I said, that's because you haven't done them before. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like when you do those experiments when like you're, you're crossing your arms and then you're asked to recross them differently. You're like, this feels different. I'm like it's the same arms. It's just you, it's a habit. It's looking at habits. But I say, you know, hello day, hello home, hello body. Um, I love the, the phrase by uh, Maya Angelou. Um, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's along the lines of like, what a beautiful day. I have not seen this one before, right? And it's just, mm-hmm. that helps me set the intention of like, you're right. <laughs> mm-hmm. This day is here. It's going to happen. And then it will be no more. So what do you want to do? Um, and then the last two pieces around intention, prayer, and presence. For prayer, um, you know, this is very separate for me from any uh, religious um, connotation. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not connected to a specific religion. For me, I, I look at it as how do you experience sacred and listen, listen for ancestor guidance um, and for you to practice that because you're a future ancestor for somebody else. Um, and so that also includes coming into connection with the natural world, putting my hand on the earth, taking my shoes off and putting those on the earth. Uh, I take pictures of flowers, for example, and I greet them. Uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram know that. <laughs> um, and then lastly, the being present is choose an activity that um, will have you reflect on patience. So for me, making tea, for example, because I can't, I can't rush it. <laughs> and if I try to, mm-hmm. the tea reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so, um, so those are some examples. I love that. I really, I love how you're taking these big concepts and explaining them in in your personal context. But it's so, I think, like big ideas that lots of people will connect to. It's so relatable, mm-hmm. and um, that's awesome. I think that our listeners are going to really be excited about this conversation. Yay! <laughs> Yeah. And like before we started recording, you were talking about your idea of design in the outdoors. And I would love for you to expand on that from your perspective. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that I I think I woke up this morning with that um, with that word in my mind, design. And I was automatically thinking like, oh, yeah, form and function and all these other words. But it um, it made me think about designing the outdoors that we have design in the sense of product, right? Like you design a specific product for the outdoors, whether it's a piece of gear, for example, backpack, shoes, whatnot. And um, classical thinking around design between form and function are important because you want things that are useful. You want things that are not gonna fall apart. You want things that are gonna be safe, right? You want things that are gonna quote unquote work. (laughs) They're gonna have that utilitarian um, aspect to them in the outdoors you want. you know, like I remember when I went to go get some 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 shoes and some boots for hiking, and the um, attendant was was very informative and helpful to ask me questions around. Well, do you want it for for day hiking? Do you want it for for regular, you know, multi day hiking for backpacking? All of these things, and I was asking like, what's what's why? What's the difference? And getting explained. Well, you know, this is you want these to be sturdier for this. 
um, because of this weight and so forth. So that, that was, I think about that in, in that product design. But then the other two pieces that I love to expand the thinking into is uh, design in terms of experience and uh, what is the experience of um, being outdoors and going outdoors. That's where all the communication comes into play, right? That's where the marketing comes into play um, in terms of the brands. That's where the infrastructure comes into play from whoever's you know providing that access to the to the landscape it might be through a state park or national park or some other a steward of the space um, it could it's the way that the trail is designed it's the way that the you know markers and interpretive signage it's there and then the other but then the other thing is the participant experience what do we bring in and how do we respond or react to that space um, often there is the way in which exclusion can happen by not being thought of <laughs> in that design experience. Um, and that's based on who gets to do the designing, right? In tech, this has shown up in the ways that uh, we say we try to create these objective algorithms, right? Something like what you type into a search engine, in theory, isn't being filtered or decided by a human um, component, but it is. And that comes up in biases. Um, something as ridiculous and as silly as like hand sensors or um, things that don't recognize you by skin color because those that it was tested on and those that design in are of a pre predominant demographic, right? And so that's when you get this reminder of like, well, people are still doing the programming. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But the excitement and the opportunity then becomes into if the space at minimum is designed to allow for that participant experience to contribute, uh, then that's great because you get to see things that you hadn't thought about. Um, and so you get to see how people bring their own experience to co-design the outdoor experience. You look at the way in which they wanna relate to each other. You look at things that they're sharing on, on social media, what they see as valuable. Um, there was a great, um, I can't remember now that there's some mapping that Stamen um, designed the, the studio in, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area was looking at mapping where people were sharing their social media photos and hashtags to traditional um, landscape preservation maps. So lands so land managers could look at where are people going and where are they taking pictures and how does that map in relation to where we think they were going and where we have signage or don't have enough infrastructure to support that, right? Um, and then lastly, that comes with responsibility because I think that makes me think about the participant experience we are sharing with each other and that we're co-designing. Are we reinforcing uh, these ideas of we belongs outdoors through our participation? Or are we really expanding and opening up what is possible in terms of uh, having a thoughtful, joy-increasing, wellness-giving um, uh, outdoor design experience? And so, and so, this idea of co-designing and and contributing um, rather rather than like owning or doing is super interesting, and it feels very collaborative. Where do you think, as an industry, um, the outdoor industry could do better? Mm -hmm. Good question. I think well, at least the two to three pieces uh, in terms of what I said is, one is open up your, um, part of the design experience is kind of the story and the narrative, right? Um, if, if, if we don't, beyond the product. I think across the board is just, look at the way in which you can open up the spaces to bring more quote unquote diversity. And by which I mean by that is um, individuals, creatives with a different uh, perspective gained through different lived experience and different cultural relationships uh, with different communities. And so bring them in, <laughs> like look for, not just hire them, right? But push the ways in which you go beyond the barriers that say, um, the self-imposed barrier, in my opinion, that say there aren't enough, you know, creatives of color, for example, or we don't have enough, you know, women designers interested in this, whatever it might be. It's like, they're, they're there, we're here. Um, it, so you have to think creative about how um, they can be a part of what you're doing. And that means um, not just having them be 
uh, on one side of the camera, so to speak, right? Not just being on the receiving end of the design experience, um, but also see how they are included in behind the lens and as part of the co-designing of these experiences in terms of um, you might get some participants to be, you know, for a photo shoot, um, but then you ask, well, who are the photographers? We also brought, intentionally brought in to, to do that. Who are the um, product uh, managers that also get to do this right uh, so like that's 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 the internal logistic piece that I think it's it's exciting um, and then through that is being able to look at what gets communicated out so I think if you look at the way to say we want to put this out there and we want it to connect with more um, communities and um, just diverse engagement, so to speak. The simplest thing I can think of is don't say, well, how do we make it more relevant for and then insert a community? I would push to say it out because the norm is multicultural, because the norm of, of, of where the demographics of the country are moving. Think about how do we take that, the value add of diverse experiences, and then just put them in the programming <laughs> and do that. We don't, you know, and I think some commercials and a couple of things that are coming out just make it look like, hey, if you're a black American family, you also just enjoy the outdoors and we don't need to like go into tokenizing. We don't need to go into like all these problematic issues when we when we try too hard to make it relevant in that way. And um, and we have limited um, the ability of people to just see that as a, as a quote unquote normal thing. What would this? This is a harder question, I think. But what's what's an example of positive intentions that come out as um, tokenizing, or like positive intentions gone wrong? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example in the outdoor industry. Um, there, you know, there's there's terms like hispandering um, that it, people are not familiar with. It's kind of self-explaining, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, um, but I would say, sorry, I'm trying to think. A lot of times, tourism um, communications don't do this well because I think, and I can't think of a good example right now for the outdoor industry. But I would say mm -hmm. is there was one. Uh, when we were doing communications um, back for a park engagement a couple years ago, um, a lot of the work was around, you know, um, land agencies and, and specific companies and other organizations asking, well, how do we increase, how do we increase, you know, engagement with Latino community? How do we get more Latino families to come to our events and do all of this stuff? Um, and I often say, well, you know, culture is about what's comfortable and familiar. And um, so what are you providing in terms of that? And they said, oh, great. Well, we can put on the flyer that food will be provided and then we're going to have tamales. And I said, well, okay, that, that's, that's an example of don't do that. <laughs> but, and so they, they felt confused. Well, well, isn't that like something that would be comfortable and familiar? I'm like, it, yeah, it, it is. But, but you don't get to make that decision. I said, like, that's, that's you, jump, you, you took that extra step into, from presumption into assumption about what you thought would be comfortable and familiar rather than allowing the participants or the communities to bring that in. Uh, what you can say is that you food will be provided uh, or um, you will provide the space to welcome participants to bring their own food and then you can help them with that, right? Uh, or maybe you wanna first ask what they want and then you can pay for it. Um, and then that way if families do bring them out, it's great, right? But that came from them being centered for that participant experience rather than um, rather than, than, than you. Um, the, you know, the other thing that was a couple years ago, I'm sure everybody saw that was the backlash with the Pepsi commercial, right? About kind of your appropriating um, essentially Black Lives um, Movement um, uh, like components of, of what it means to, to speaking of revolution, right? Mm -hmm. These kind of like revolutionary practices and challenges against the system. And you made it seem like all you need to do is just give the, the, the police officer in riot gear a can of Coke and that's gonna fix it. And so that ignores the live reality that 
by being a specific skin color, and in this case, being black, is um, it does it's not something that gets resolved with a Pepsi can, and that it's a real lived experience, um, and why we have phrases such as fill in the blank while being black, right? Driving while being black, being in your own yard while being black. It's like almost anything that you can do, it's a reminder that being black in itself um, is, is what, what's problematic for the system. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to do if you've never experienced that and you, you know, make it worse by asking, well, we're all human, why we all, you know, shouldn't be about color, it shouldn't be. It's you saying, I refuse to acknowledge that what you go through because I don't go through that. Right. And that's, that I think is extremely common and um, people, people do try to brush it off a little mm-hmm. bit. Lisa, when you step out of the shower, the first thing that you do is you put on underwear. This is assuming you shower. Yeah, I didn't today. But if I did take a shower this morning, the first thing I would have put on is underwear. And that's because the stuff that's underneath really matters. It cradles you, it's supportive, and it should be comfortable and keep you going throughout your day. There are companies out there that make incredibly comfortable underwear. But even better than that is a creative agency I know that believes that what's under your brand matters even more than what's under your clothing. What creative agency is that? WheelieCreative.com. It's actually just called Wheelie, but the URL is wheeliecreative.com. And at Wheelie, we know that what's underneath your brand is incredibly important to the rest of your brand's day, such as a comfortable, supportive strategy that keeps your business fresh. So check out wheeliecreative.com. It's like underwear for your brand. So Jose talked about different rituals and ceremonies that he uses to ground himself. And something that he mentioned was he does a daily jog to kind of wake up his body and and give gratitude for his body. And this is really common to find a spiritual practice in running or jogging or some sort of physical movement. For a lot of people who don't necessarily follow like an organized religion, it's extremely common for them to find spirituality in nature or in an activity like running where you're outside, um, you're by yourself, you're typically like in your own thoughts. And it's actually very similar to like prayer in some way. You're kind of separating from your day, reflecting over your day, um, as well as getting endorphins. It makes you happy, it makes you feel better when you're done. Yeah, you can definitely find spirituality or ritual um, in the outdoors, which is really interesting. You know how I believe in manifestation, and I think that the more you think about things, the more power you give them. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to me that this concept of ritual is flooding my life right now. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I keep hearing about the importance of rituals in relationships and, you know, doing things with your partner that become your own little miniature ceremony whether it's just saying goodbye to each other in the morning or Mm -hmm. whatever and then having rituals at work like how I start every single Monday morning meeting with welcome to the Monday morning meeting thanks for being here Mm -hmm. and like having these rituals is a very healthy practice and um, it's fascinating that right now my life is inundated with this concept of rituals I think I trying to form more of them but I don't know if a ritual is something you can form or a ritual that like you you mindfully form it or it's something that organically grows and you keep repeating so I don't know I've been actually thinking a lot about rituals lately probably a mix of both but I think that ritual and seeking out ritual in your life is very human um, and something that is our nature we've always seeked um, some sort of religious practice or or spiritual practice that makes sense the beginning of humanity yeah Should we get back to Jose? Let's get back to Jose, because he's really got a lot to say. Yeah. What we're encountering, and I want so badly to honor everyone in in a good, authentic way, you know, but we keep getting asked by brands. I own a creative agency, Mm -hmm. um, and it's rooms full of, white people saying hey how do we do this Mm -hmm. what can we do and um like people are wanting to 
do something good. What What's your response to that? What would be your answer? That's a great question. Um, I mean, the, well, first of all, I do want to acknowledge and recognize that they're not all easy conversations to have, right? Um, yeah. If they were, I often say this, we'd be done. <laughs> we would have <laughs> we would have fixed this every time we try to address it through legislation or like through a good speech or whatever, right? Or through an election of some kind. But uh, we get these reminders that it's, it's not done. Uh, and that requires everybody on board um, to do this um, with their specific power and privilege and tools afforded to them that may not be afforded to others. So everybody plays a part. Um, and so I say this because the question that I often start with when I would do equity and inclusion, like workshops or trainings is, I said, this is one of the hardest questions you can at least ask yourself or confront and then see how do you walk back from that, which is what power are you willing to give up, right? Um, and I say that because on one end, it begins a reflection question of saying, well, what, what power do I have? What does that look like, right? Um, have I not thought about it? Well, I didn't know that me being able to do X, Y, and C was power. I didn't know that having these resources is power, like those kind of things. Uh, and then two is, um, if, if the answer is no, <laughs> then that's a different set of steps and conversations and saying, I'm willing to give up A, B, and C, but I'm going to struggle with you know, D, E, and F. Because um, at least you're being honest and genuine about it. And so I say this because one of the easiest and, and thing that comes, that is increasingly coming up is, do you pay the, your talent that are people of color, for example, or any other um, marginalized or oppressed identity. You want them to be included. You maybe want them for a photo shoot. Maybe you want them to be part of some engagement. Um, maybe you haven't thought about bringing them as a consultant. So I'd say, are you willing to pay them and not? If you, and if the answer is no, then again, that's a different um, series of conversations and steps to have versus yes, and then we can look at what does that look like. Um, and I say that because in some cases, you know, the default answer, well, you know, uh, you're going to get more exposure or this is going to be really good for blah, blah, and we're like, I get it. But, you know, uh, the landlord does not take a rent exposure check. We, we I really wish they would. Um, we all wish they would, right? Um, or not even, they don't even take a doing good in the world, which is, you know, like, but, but you don't understand. I did, I did, I did so much good in the world. Okay, great. But <laughs> that's still $1,200. Um, and so, uh, because at least you can have that conversation and reflect back on, would you be doing the same, right? I, uh, to say, well, does that mean nobody in your team is getting paid? Or if you get a contract from a specific, uh, brand, or if you contract out, is that how you have those conversations to say, well, nobody's going to get paid, but it's just going to be good for you to work with us. Right. Um, or we're only going to pay the, the producer, but we're not going to pay any of the photographers. We're not going to pay any of the editors. Like, you know, you don't do that. So why would you do that when it comes to um, individuals in leadership of color who have a lot of value to bring into the space? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in, investing emotionally, financially investing and making change. And like I said, I know it's not easy, but it's just being able to relook at what the defaults are and why those are normative defaults rather than how to redo, rethink, and, and do differently. And going back to the word of our revolution, to me, that's pretty revolutionary for you to be able to like, not just do differently, but do differently better. Absolutely. And, and knowing that it, I mean, you can almost look at photography as a practice in a mm -hmm. way, um, you know, that every day you have a camera or you're sitting at your computer to design something like, how, how are you going to be better? or do better mm -hmm. or, you know, differently or, you know, so I think, I think that really resonates with being, being able to like put intention behind our creative work and, and do something bigger than because it looks cool or, oh, because it fits on that signpost right there or whatever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, beyond it just being good business, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's a given. I'd like to think that people know that that's a given, so to speak. But um, I don't use that as the primary factor or motivator because I think creatives know this, right? Yeah, it's nice to get paid, but you also just want to create. <laughs> you want to mm -hmm. have these things exist. Um, 
you can't always explain them. You can often, sometimes you can, uh, often you cannot. And I think that for me, work around equity and inclusion is the same. It's just, it's the reality that I wish to be able to, to have and see because I believe in it. And I then can think about people that tell me why not, right? And I want to understand the why not to see if, can you articulate saying thing? Well, because I don't want you to have a good life. I said, that's hard because then, so then I, I really know then where you stand as opposed to you're confused, you're hurt, you are um, not sure how this works or you're afraid basically of what you think you can lose and you haven't had the conversations to look at how this is a collective win. It's kind of like the old phrase around climate change. It's like, what if we did all this work to make the planet better for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, <laughs> I've never heard that phrase. Uh, that's that adds humor to a yeah. darker situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, what what have I uh, what have I not asked you about that you think our listeners would like to hear about, mm. or that you want to say? I'll think of two things. Right. One is um, to honor what you mentioned around revolution. Uh, a couple of things. One is sometimes it's relatively revolutionary to have these conversations, right? Uh, because there's many spaces in which um, individuals, uh, the spaces or institutions uh, don't like the discomfort, right? They don't tolerate it, they don't accept it, they don't welcome it, um, they see it as a threat. And so questions around, well, why does it always have to be about race? Well, why do you always have, you know? Um, so it's revolutionary to be able to to express maybe your fear and concern while welcoming it in, to be able to say, you know, I feel really scared about this. I, I feel so unsure. I, I, I might even, like, I think come across angry, but I realize it's just because I'm afraid and I just don't know. Um, but I would like to know, and I don't know how to proceed, right? Um, it's very different than trying to shut it down because that the shutting it down defaults the status quo. And revolutions are about changing the status quo. Um, Ideally with the right alignment and intention, it's for the better. I think people then like to say, well, but isn't it pretty good right now? Why would you want to change what's pretty good? And I say, well, it's not. (laughs) If it was, we wouldn't have these conversations. And um, the other thing is acts of revolution, uh, acts of uh, revolution uh, or revolutionary acts are also about Um, doing things that are not radical in the sense of what people may mistake activism to be uh, or or only limit activism to be, uh, by which I mean is, you know, people can get those stereotypical visions of like marching on the street, holding uh, protest sign and so forth. To me, there will always be a place for that because there just, there there still is. But also revolutionary acts of self-care revolutionary acts of knowing that by you being well, you lead and live as an example to others, right? Uh, Beyond just the quote of, you know, be the change you want to see or be in the world. I think you also need to be be the good medicine that is needed. And a lot of those um, teachings and learnings uh, are things that have existed in in all ancestral um, knowledge from all communities. Uh, but the process of colonization um, tore up a lot of that. It undid a lot of that. And so they, they're still there, though. They still exist. And I think that's why the sense of connection and things that resonate for people to want to wanna do good and be good in the world can still connect us in that way. And then the last component is that uh, some of the words that I use, um, I continually have to do my own learning forward, right? Uh, I acknowledge that I'm going to make mistakes, right? It's important for me to like recognize my own power and privilege as a hetero, cisgendered, uh, Latino male um, that's, that's, you know, abled in many different ways. And while still operating, we often say as a Latino, I get to be colonizer and colonized. <laughs> um, and that's an important identity to acknowledge because it means like there's work I'll always continue to, to need to do while also um, trying to be the best person that I can be for myself and knowing that I'm human. So it's not if I will make mistakes and fail, but rather when and how I will navigate that. So I say that because I will always try to catch myself on those. 
And you, if for many astute listeners will have probably caught me trying to catch myself on a couple of times that I'm trying to restate my words or readdress them. Because at the end of the day, those three words that I shared with you as well, that are pretty revolutionary to me and the way that I think about perspective and framework and how I see and choose to engage with the world are those. One is choice, right? That if I reframe things as a choice, it recenters the empowerment on me, but also makes me accountable for the impact that I have on others. So, you know, I say, well, I have to. Well, do you really have to? No but you chose to, <laughs> or you have set it up in such a way that I know your choice feels limited, but it's still a choice. Um, second is agreements, that when I rethink of things around agreements, which is similar to choice, it allows me to think about, well, why was that agreement made? Why is it being honored or not honored? And if we don't have an agreement, why, how do we restate it and why? And I think that's always helpful so that it's clear. Um, to go back to the agreements and rather than putting the uh, the venom or the hurt on each other and then just say, I realize we, we actually didn't have an agreement on how to do this. Can we, can we try that? And then lastly is the intention, which is uh, we say uh, presume good intention, intent to impact. Um, but I think for me, the intention is to choose and have agreements that I think, like I said, bring joy and do good in the world. And for me, the outdoors does that. The outdoors in itself will both teach you and humble you and welcome you, right? It provides so much. <laughs> Nature's not afraid to like remind you that you're just this soft, pink, hairless human that needs all this protective gear to like <laughs> to be out there while a marmot is just walking by or like, you know, Jays are just doing their thing, um, uh, but it's also just—it's—it's—it it's, has the power of awe. It has the power of wonder. It, it rejuvenates us. It—it it, it does a lot of it connects us spiritually. Provides has a lot of wellness and health benefits. So it's all there. And um, in many ways, nature's never been the problem. The problem has been what we put on it, right? It's these human systems, this the social infrastructure that um, have disconnected us. So. I can close with that. Well, that was amazing. And I'm, I'm just so honored that you, that you were on the podcast. And I think that even through just words and you're in San Francisco or you're in Sacramento and I'm in Whitefish, Montana, like you're, you're, you radiate warmth. Um, and I'm, I think our industry is so lucky to have you. Thank you. It is, it, it is, it is good to be here. Yeah. Um, where can where can people follow you online? I'm sure they're going to want to. Oh yes, thank you. I forgot about that. So I am. My handle is Jose Bilingue. So that is J O S E B I L I N G U E. Uh, bilingue. Um, it's Spanish for bilingual. And that is on social media. That is on Twitter as well. And um, Facebook, if you choose to follow me there, but I usually Instagram and Twitter seems to be the most easiest and popular spaces. Um, and you can also, my website is, is josegagonzalez.com. Perfect. And what can people find on your website? So my website, which almost sounds cliche, it's almost like every creative says this, right? So it's being updated. So <laughs> 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 um, yeah, uh, perpetually updated. Uh, no, but the, so what people can find there is definitely a way to contact me. Um, some of my arts on there, some of my old writings are on there. Um, and so, and then also I've been making some of these shirts. So if people see some shirts that I wear on my Instagram account and want to get them, they're there as well. Awesome. Well, we will put links to those in our show notes as well. So people can just click on those and Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course, it's a pleasure. May you have an awesome day. So thanks so much to Jose. What an incredible episode. I think I might have to listen to this one more than once. Yeah, I like there's so many hidden gems throughout this episode that it would be a good one to repeat. Yeah, lots or of knowledge bombs are dropped. Listen to it while you're running. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Start a new ritual. Listen to the Outside by Design podcast while you're running. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here. Um, 
So make sure you subscribe to our show so you don't miss our new episodes, which drop every Thursday morning. And if you have a second, leave us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. It takes like two seconds and it makes us happy. Aw, and you want to see Iris happy. Yeah. You don't want to see her mad. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And we'll see you next week. I guess you'll hear us next week. Yeah. We'll be in your head us. next week. You can imagine what we're doing. We're wearing matching beanies. We're wearing matching beanies. We're adorable. <laughs>